Transportation is a journey connecting us in our everyday lives. This podcast series, TRB's Transportation Explorers, takes you on that journey with meaningful conversations with the experts behind the research. They often have an early eye on how we'll build the transportation of tomorrow. On today's episode, we speak with the Honorable Robert Sumwalt, Chair of the National Transportation Safety Board. A lot of these technologies, such as forward collision warning systems, automatic emergency braking, lane departure warning systems, these are oftentimes included in higher end cars. But should that be standard equipment? Why should people who are paying more to get a fancy car have a greater level of safety than those who don't? So we feel that it's important for these technologies to be incorporated in all new vehicles. Hi, I'm Elaine Farrell. And I'm Paul Mackey with the Transportation Research Board of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine based in Washington, D.C. Robert has served as a member of the NTSB since 2006, and before joining the board, he managed SCANA's corporate aviation department, and prior to that was a commercial airline pilot. Well, welcome, Chairman Sumwal. We are so honored to have you, and we are here to talk about the latest iteration of the NTSB's Most Wanted list, which uh, outlines the most important safety priorities across all modes of transportation, Robert, can you give a general overview of what's on the most wanted list and talk about how you all have decided what is included? Well, that's a big question. And thank you very much for having me. Yeah, the NTSB's most wanted list, we've had the we've had a list of some sort since 1990. And periodically, usually annually, we were updating that. In uh, 2017, we went to a biennial list. So every two years, we're updating it. Uh, we just rolled out recently our latest most wanted list, the 2021-2022 most wanted list. It has 10 items on it, and I'd be glad to discuss any or all of those items if you like. So it looks like, uh, it looks like they go across four modes, I guess you could say really more than that, encompassing more than that. What do you think right now is, if you, not to rank them necessarily, but Right now, what are what are the ones maybe from each of those four different sections within the 10, 10 most wanted list? Would you would you say are, are either dear to your heart or also just really important for the nation? Yeah, I think they're all important to the nation. And so, Paul, we've got over 1,100 open safety recommendations. When I say open safety recommendations, these are recommendations that have not been satisfactorily closed. And you can't effectively advocate for 1,100 issues, uh, 1,100 safety recommendations. So over the years, we've used the most wanted list as an advocacy tool, a way of really taking those, those areas that we believe are ripe for improvement. And if they don't get implemented, then there could be severe safety consequences. So that is what we've tried to do is really put the spotlight on 10 issue areas that, if implemented, will significantly improve transportation safety. One I notice on the list that's been really, really, really important over the past several weeks has, has been on pipeline safety. That the inclusion on that list certainly almost seems prophetic. How do, do the items on this list, how do they then manifest themselves perhaps into policy or into into the real world well 
do you think? Have, have you seen some of that over the years? Yes, indeed. Our staff really spends about a year perfecting the list to bring to the board for the five member board to vote on. What we decided to do is come up with a ranking tool, if you will, to be able to prioritize which issue areas need to be elevated to the most wanted list. And there are really four areas that we look at in the methodology. It's the level of validation. And when I say that, it's NTSB and products uh, that we've done, products, investigative reports, safety alerts, safety studies. So that's level of validation. Or also it could involve external reports and data that support the safety item. Another part of that uh, prioritization matrix or ranking tool is the level of action. If there's insufficient or inadequate safety action, that there, that there has been insufficient action taken so far and that we need to give this an extra push. Then there's the level and risk consequence, the size and the scope of the safety problems, the high likelihood of similar occurrences in the future, and finally, the potential benefit focused from our advocacy. How much benefit are we going to get by really pushing this thing for the next two years. So we take potential issue areas, run them through this prioritization matrix or ranking tool and see which ones score the highest. So I was uh, just reviewing the differences between this year's most wanted list and the one from two years ago. And there are some slight differences. So what I was wondering is what prompted the need for those changes and, and what make something removed from the list. So for example, two years ago, you had require medical fitness on there. And I don't see that on this year's list. So how does something like that get moved off? And then what gets moved on? It's certainly a, a great question. And one that's subject to a great deal of debate is what's on the list and what's not. It could be that issue areas have been those issue areas have been folded into the current issue areas. It could be that action has been taken on that particular issue area. For example, positive train control. As you know, the NTSB had, had been advocating positive train control for over 50 years to prevent train-to-train -train collisions and other train-related accidents. Finally, the 41 railroads that were required by Congress to implement positive train control did meet the deadline, the December 31st, 2020 deadline. So they met that. So that's a good example right there that we don't need to have that extra push. Well, from railways to autonomous and connected vehicles. And one of the, one of the things on the most wanted list is indeed connected vehicle technologies on all vehicles. You are going to be speaking at TRB's upcoming Automated Road Transport Symposium. That's this July virtual conference the TRB will be holding about these technologies. How long do you think it will take to in incorporate connected and autonomous vehicles on all roads in the U.S.? And, and what would be good ways to educate the public about why these technologies will enhance safety? Yes, I think we're certainly in the infant stages, maybe not, maybe, but not even the infant stages. Maybe we're just in the initial conception of connected vehicle technology. There's a lot that has been, but there's a lot more that needs to be done. And, you know, 50% of rear end collisions that could have been prevented 
had the vehicles had forward collision warning systems and automatic emergency braking. That right there tells us that there's a big need for better technology. As far as warning the public to be aware, as you know, uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration um, does have their five-star new car assessment program. And we feel that that should be expanded so that the consumer can, can become aware of which technologies are, are available or are included uh, in the car that they're about to purchase. And that brings up another point. A lot of these technologies, such as forward collision warning systems, automatic emergency braking, lane departure warning systems, these are oftentimes included in higher end cars. But should that be standard equipment? Why should people who are paying more to get a fancy car have a greater level of safety than those who don't? So we feel that it's important for these technologies to be incorporated in all new vehicles, including school buses and heavy uh, trucks. And sometimes words matter too. We had Jane Lappin on a recent episode of Transportation Explorers, and she said something that was quite interesting, even bordering on provocative. She said, you know, maybe we need to stop calling these automated vehicles, autonomous vehicles, driverless vehicles, robot cars, and just say that this is technology that is making cars safer. That works for me because that's exactly what it is. It's not just technology for the sake of technology. It truly enables vehicles to be safer. Well, we're looking forward to you talking more about AVs. Oops, there I called them autonomous vehicles. Maybe I should have said technology to make cars safer. But we look forward to, to hearing you speak as a keynote at, at the conference and back to the most wanted list, though, obviously you're not able to include everything in the most wanted list. Uh, there are so many issues, as we know at TRB, uh, across, the, across the universe of transportation. Can you tell us more about how you think some big sort of broad overreaching issues, how, how it's probably difficult to fit them in? For example, at, at the National Academies and TRB, we're, we're pretty heavily focused now on some of the same issues that are really high up in, in the national conversation that uh, the Biden administration is focusing on, COVID-19, climate change, equity, economic recovery. How do these issues affect transportation safety and how transportation in general can look to these priorities to inform safety policy and practices? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Paul. And understand, that the NTSB, uh, we are an accident investigation agency. A lot of people hear our name and, and they hear National Transportation Safety Board and they, they think that we are in charge of safety of all transportation safety. Um, we are really limited uh, as, as being an accident investigation agency. So if we've not seen we're a very reactive agency by, by design. If we've not seen a crash or an accident in a particular area, then we're not going to just take a position on it. For example, COVID. Personally, we all know that that's an enormous issue over the last 15 months or so, and will continue to be for, for a while. So we don't have any investigations, highway investigations, or any other investigations related to, to COVID. Same thing for emissions. But one area that we do have several recommendations related to would be related to equity and transportation. 
and we want to make sure that that underserved communities do have a equivalent level of safety. A few years ago, we did a curbside bus study. Uh, you know, some people call these at one time they were called the Chinatown buses that would go for you could go for a dollar or five dollars or twenty dollars to go from Washington to New York. And originally, these started out as a means for low-income people to travel, and many of them were more um, Asian in nature to go between those city pairs for very little money. We did a safety study on that. Uh, we did a study about migrant workers in transportation. We investigated an, an accident in St. Mark's, Florida, and it was a school bus, an old dilapidated school bus that was used to carry migrant workers around. Uh, many of these workers don't have the means to drive to work, so they rely on, on these cheap means of transportation dedicated for migrant workers, and we pointed out uh, safety areas there. We, we did a pedestrian study, and we know that uh, many people in underserved communities can't afford or don't choose to drive a car to the grocery store. Instead, they walk. So we have tentacles that are reaching out into the issue of equity and transportation safety. That's really interesting uh, to know about those studies that you've done. But let's let's go switch gears for just a minute and talk about you. Um, in addition to the positions I mentioned that you had at the top of the show, you have worked on special assignments, including developing airline safety programs, serving as an air safety representative for the Airline Pilots Association, conducting aviation safety research with NASA, and you have published a book on aircraft accidents. So I was just wondering, how have you been inspired by your decades in aviation safety in particular to apply safety to other modes of transportations? And then a second part of that question is, how do you think experts in different transportation industries can work together to ensure safety across all modes? Well, certainly um, there, there is need for cross-pollinization across the modes of transportation. Uh, the airlines, when it comes to safety, to managing safety, have done historically over the last two decades, have done a, a remarkable job of managing safety. So I think that there's lessons that can be learned there and applied to other modes of transportation. So I think that's some of what I've really seen since I came on the board 15 years ago, I have really expanded my focus from aviation safety to all of transportation safety across all modes. So I, I really do think that there's a need for an applicability to extrapolate what we've learned in one mode and apply it to, to other modes. And the second part of the question, I think it is important that we not have the silos that you have the aviation safety group and then the highway safety group and the marine safety group and the rail pipeline and hazardous material safety group that you, you know, that there, that, that I think highlights the value of something like the TRB where you can get literally a couple of thousand people uh, in the same building in non-COVID times and exchange ideas. I think that's the value of what the TRB does. Yeah, I suppose at some point the the master goal of all transportation uh, professionals, experts, the public should be to have one pass that gets you 
across the ocean in a boat and then, you know, across parts of Europe in a plane and then drive across this country. That would be pretty nice, maybe sometime down the road. But uh, that's kind of a romantic and ideal idea of, uh, of transportation. Right now, I'm, I'm reading a book called Come Fly the World. You may have heard of it. It's just out. It's so good. And it, uh, I, I wonder if the romanticism of flying, I wonder if that played any role in you. you, you well, you got a master's in aeronautical science from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. So you made the decision to go into aviation and uh, I guess into transportation. Take us through your, your journey. Perhaps it wasn't a romantic view of flying like I described in like that new book about the Pan Am stewardesses back in the glory days of, of flying. But uh, tell us about your own journey through the world of transportation up until now. Yesterday, I told somebody that I'm the luckiest person in the world. And I, tr I truly believe that. I've, I, I have been able to do, I don't even call it work, I've been able to be in professions that I truly love. I started flying when I was 17. And by the time I was through with uh, high school, I had a private pilot certificate, uh, continued through college, building up my ratings and uh, just trying to build up flying time. But, but while in college, I would go to the college library and read NTSB accident reports and think one of these days, I'd like to be an NTSB board member. Meanwhile, I had a 24 year career as an airline pilot, uh, really loved that. That was a dream job for me. Sort of the master plan uh, would be to have completed my airline career and then uh, somehow or another get appointed to the NTSB. At the time, the mandatory age retirement was 60. Just through events, I ended up leaving the airline when I was 48. And when I was 50, I got appointed to the NTSB. So it has been a wonderful, wonderful journey. And my term on the board will end this year. I'll look back on this job as I often do and say, gosh, this is, I'm going to hate to leave the board, but I also believe that there's a need for fresh blood on agencies like this. And I know the board will welcome new blood. Now, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you said it's really difficult to kind of burrow into these 1100 topics and pick one or two, that's a priority. And TRB has a similar issue. We have so many research statements, as you know. So from the TRB perspective, what would you like to see us undertake in terms of research and transportation safety that maybe hasn't been addressed yet or needs more work? Well, thanks. I appreciate that question. I think it'd be presumptuous for me to try and tell the PRB what, what they should be doing, but uh, I, I will use this opportunity to sort of really, we've talked about the most wanted list, we've nibbled around it. So uh, I'll give you an idea of really sort of what, what we're looking at. When I talk about 1100, 1100 open safety recommendations, really what we've done is we've taken all those recommendations and sort of grouped them into buckets, uh, into modes perhaps, so on the most wanted list, there are 10 issue areas and supporting those, those 10 issue areas are 175 safety recommendations. In aviation, we've got recommendations or issue areas related to aviation. We've got issue areas related to highway, issue areas related to marine, uh, an issue area related to rail pipeline and hazardous materials. So again, that's what we're doing. We're taking the recommendations that we have, the open recs that we have, and triaging them into modes, or it could be an intermodal recommendation 
fatigue, that was an issue that was on our most wanted list before. That, of course, affects transportation safety across all modes. So occasionally we do have intermodal issue areas on the most wanted list. Thank you for taking us in to be a little bit of a fly on the wall of the process. It must be a really interesting process to put together a list. Lists are always by nature somewhat controversial. Nobody's ever happy with the list. You know, there's always something they feel is missing. And hopefully there is not uh, too much unhappiness about your list. And most people think it's a great list and, and a great starting point for the next two years to, to work on. You're right. I mean, uh, some people look at the most wanted list is a, is the, you know, the FBI's most wanted list, for example, they don't want to have their areas on the most wanted list. They will write us and come and talk to us and say, we don't think that this needs to be on the list anymore. Ultimately, it's the board's decision. On the other hand, there are people that saying, wow, you really need to put this on the most wanted list. And we were disappointed that that wasn't on the list. But understand that all of our safety recommendations are important. Unfortunately, every one of our safety recommendations comes from a tragic, tragic crash. And so every one of them is important. And But, but the issue is, as I've mentioned, you can't advocate for thousands of, of areas there. So we've, we've pulled together the list to really highlight those issue areas that are ripe for improvement, that really need to be improved, and that we're going to push on these, we're going to advocate for these over the next two years. And that's really what the most wanted list is at the end of the day. It's an advocacy tool to help to prevent accidents and crashes, reduce injuries, and to save lives. Thank you so much for being with us. I was going to ask you if there's anything else you want to add, but I don't know. I think that last statement is sort of the end-all, be-all takeaway for our listeners. Well, thanks for that opportunity. I, I really think that, again, the work that the TRB is doing is so important, and, uh, and we really are, in many respects, partners in this endeavor to improve transportation safety. Thank you for your time. Thanks for talking with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Elaine and Paul. TRB's Transportation Explorers is a production of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. Ben Brown composed our theme music. The podcast is produced by Paul Mackey and me, Elaine Farrell, and edited by me. Thanks again for tuning into TRB's Transportation Explorers. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. See you next time on the transportation journey.